is everybody? That time of day, isn't it? It's like, how do I escape it? Okay, let's, I'll just preach to you guys. I'm sure it'll, it'll set in a minute and then we can put it back in the center. So, um, wow, all I can still see is the sun. Excellent. Good thing. Hebrides, we've just got back. Um, you may or may not know, we didn't just go to the Hebrides. So we left, um, obviously, before Todd and Rachel did, met them up in the Hebrides. But we've actually been travelling around um, multiple countries. Um, and what was of interest to me, so this message today isn't going to be a teaching as much as it's just a prophetic encouragement of, you know, travelling the nations, a particular focus, obviously, within within Hebrides. But... Um, you know, going from the likes of the UAE, so spending time in Dubai and then um, over to Ireland, um, Northern Ireland, then into Scotland, um, I was struck that this global agenda is truly global. Um, I, I guess I had some level of expectation that, you know, you might go into a Muslim nation and you won't find the global agenda there. Um, but, but you do. You find, you know, the whole climate crisis and energy and, um, you know, the whole narrative being played out um, within those nations. While I didn't see much of the transgender there, um, I certainly saw that in Ireland. I saw big pushes towards... Um, you know, the, these narratives that we're finding here and the, um, the inflation and the cost of living and you know, like p- people being in a little bit of despair, people looking for answers um, across the nations. And so it, I guess it just sat with me that, you know, you, you kind of go into other nations and like getting a feel for, okay, what's the climate across the nations? Um, and it's the first time I've, tra- I've travelled many, many times um, and sometimes I've travelled multiple countries, you know, when I've gone, you know, travelling before. This is the first time that I felt this underlying global um, thing attached to the nations that you couldn't really escape. Um, and so that, that for me was like, okay, we, we can sit within Australia and we can talk about the narrative, the big picture, the globalist agenda, um, but it really did carry when you then travel the nations and you can feel that there's a thread of this um, lie being sold throughout the nations. Um, and even Daryl was laughing at me because, you know, I take tr- track of the whole cloud seeding thing. Um, I keep a little, you know, there's a few of us in a group that kind of just like, okay, another one today. Um, because we want to be able to push back. Like, what are you putting in our skies? Is it doing us damage? Um, so I started to keep track a little. But even going into Dubai, I just thought, no way they're going to fall for this garbage, you know. Um, and I'm sitting out by the pool and Daryl's like, what are you doing? I'm like, they're doing, look at that, crisscrossing across the sky. Like, you know, I was just like super offended that how did they buy into this too, you know? It's like they're a Muslim nation and like I just, I expected something different. I expected a thread of people being awake to some of this and not buying into the, you know, this big globalist agenda. Um, And so, you know, you go to the Burj Khalifa, which is the the tallest building in the world and... uh, what was it called? Eid? Eid, which is the last day of Ramadan. Never, ever, ever go to Dubai Mall on Eid. Just, just for your reference, never do it. I'm talking wall-to-wall men just circling the place, like within there, because half of them had never been in there before, and they just circle, circle around. Um, and it's like you've got to run the gauntlet just to get to the other side of the mall. So never, ever do that. So, but I do count that as an experience. Um, so I'll take that one. Um, but I'm talking the biggest crowd you've ever seen watching the sky light up. They've got the water show, the lights. And, um, and just as the light show is about to start, 
the planes start crisscrossing with the clouds eating. And I was like, Darryl! <laughs> um, it's like, settle down. Like, you know. um, same in Scotland when I got there. Same in Northern Ireland. It's just like, you know, every country I went to, the cloud seeding was a thing. Um, but this isn't a message of despair. Just bear with me. I'm telling you some of the things of the, you know, the agendas and what's playing out um, within the nations. Um, but I have great things to report as well. Um, so on the positive side was there were just moments in different countries um, and diff- well, different cities, not necessarily just a country in itself, um, of going into different cities or different villages and the thin places, like we call them thin places, the places where you could feel that something had been carved out there, that there'd been encounters here, that the angelic was present, even though that was contrasted by despairing people and like a coldness and things that you could also pick up it was just like wow okay here's another thin place like and the invitation being there because you could feel that that had been somewhere where it had been carved out not dissimilar to you know Jacob and Bethel like you know it's like I encountered God here and now I renamed this place Um, and so there's across the world there's, there's those thin places in the spirit that exist that we can, you know, that we get to pull on. And one of those was actually, um, do we have the photos or did you, yeah, yeah. So the one with the rainbow. So it's probably the last one because I tacked it on at the end. Um, oh, you can't really see it. Anyway, because it was so, it was vibrant, but you wouldn't know it because I was trying to zoom in, so it doesn't do it justice. But anyway, you can see what looks like a really, really small rainbow, not very bright, but it was quite vibrant, you know, in the natural. So we're sitting, this was, I know Daryl spoke a little bit about closure on Tuesday night, if you heard that message, and he was just talking, um, obviously, like, going back to Northern Ireland was not just okay, let's go visit Northern Ireland. It was about, especially for Daryl, just that closure of family who had passed away. Um, so this particular day, we'd gone to his granny's and granddad's grave. And um, so it was laying to rest, you know, just the, the, the people that had really gr- brought him up. Um, and so it was like on the back of that, we came back to our little um, muse cottage and we're sitting there um, and this storm just came through. Um, and as the storm came through, it then started to clear a little bit and this rainbow pops up over, um, over the waters in the distance. And in that moment, I just, I felt the angelic and I could hear the tim like, I want to say tambourines, but the word that came to me was timbrels. So I guess that's more ancient, you know, the language. Um, and I could hear the angelic and the worship. And I just looked to Daryl and he, go, and he said, felt, felt it at the same time. And he said, do you feel that too? And I said, yeah, what is, what, what is Bangor? Like, you know, I know there's historically St. Patrick was attached to this place somehow but but I didn't know the heritage I didn't know what was attached to to you know that place in particular and where this rainbow appeared was actually we're talking fifth century St Patrick this was the very place that he had an encounter where he saw the vision of the choir of angels singing across this this part like literally there. So where that water, where that rainbow was, was where he had encountered the choir of angels. And so I can feel it now. It's like, um, and I was just, like Daryl and I were just taken aback about um, historically the, the amounts of centuries of different encounters which create these places that are thin places where people have lent in and heard, you know, heard the angelic. And what stood out to me was that these angels were there in anticipation still, that they were sitting placed with the, you know, it was a choir of an angels, you know, I'm hearing the timbrels as well. Um, and, I, and I just felt on it was not just about Bangor and what had been carved out there, but it was the invitation that I felt the angelic across the nations in anticipation, that there is so much angelic that is across the nations waiting, 
waiting for us to have an understanding of our assignments so that they can partner with and do their assigned part within what happens within the nations. And so it struck me as, you know, 5th century St. Patrick encountering these angels, and I'm convinced they were the same angels still sitting, poised, worshipping in that place, this sin place. And, you know, it just reminded me of all these places across the earth where, you know, God had met with his people and the angelic had been, you know, partnered with, that they, they are still there and waiting for the invitation for us to partner with, to, to join with them and go, okay, let's, let's, um, let's do our part to experience that and whatever is required. Um, now, Hebrides, I mean, I could go through different nations, but I do want to focus on Hebrides because, you know, we have been tracking that for um, you know, for, for some of us, for, for some it's only been maybe in the last year since we were talking more specifically about it. But for others, um, for me, it's been, you know, well, as soon as I got saved, I was, I was researching revivals. I was, you know, seeking out, like, what's happened in the past so that we can have keys for the future. And um, so the Hebrides for me was like, I was so excited to, you know, to get on that land. And I know, know that there's so many of you out there that have a real desire to get to the Hebrides too. Um, so we get on the ferry. Um, so we went to Edinburgh, drove from there to Ullapool, um to get the ferry across. And as we um, get on the ferry, um, the first little part of it, there wasn't, it was just like, oh, that's nice, nice, you know. But once we hit the open waters... I felt things shift in the spirit and it literally it was such an open, it was a, almost like a beckoning. It was a welcoming of the angelic for um, just like, like it was, hello, you know, do, do you know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't describe the, the, just the openness of, um, of the place to just welcome us in because we, we acknowledge and we recognize what was, what was done in that place. Um, and as, uh, you know, about halfway across, um, I just close my eyes and then I see this um, golden angel um, touch, um, standing by this, these pools of water and this golden angel puts his finger, puts its finger in um, the, this, the pool of water and just starts to stir. And obviously, you know, we all know about the, um, you know, the, the, the pools um, of Bethesda and, you know, what that was, was about healing. And, and so as I see this angel touch and start to stir the waters, I, I hear so clearly about the invitation for, the, for healing, the invitation for, for those in the Hebrides to come into healing. But particularly, I heard the words, um, if they would just put their toe in the water, and so I was like, wow, okay, that was quite specific language. Um, and so I held on to that. And then knowing the history of Hebrides, because, you know, I've, I've researched it over the years, Hebrides was not marked by healings. That was not um, something where you'd go, I'm sure that healings happened, but it was not marked by, wow, that was a revival that carried just the miracles and the healings of the Lord. Um, and so I knew that was the invitation was I want to add unto them in Hebrides the, the, you know, the ability for them to dip their toe in. If they don't dip their toe in, that they would actually be healed. Um, and a side note to that was, I think Daryl unpacked a tiny bit about Uriah, was she got sick pretty much the moment we set out journeying to Hebrides. Um, so encountering that angel and then, you know, in hindsight, you then start to realise this was really assignment over health because I've just now encountered what God wants to release. So she got sick as we, you know, going across in the ferry, she's like, that was day one. So she was sick for seven days, as you know, and um, landed in hospital. But it was a reminder to me of just how much the enemy wants to push back on what the word of the Lord is and just go, are you going to believe for 
um, the miraculous. So you're going to believe for the healing. Now, I was a bit slow and didn't put two and two together until a couple of days in. Um, but really then start to contend because it's like, no, I saw this angel. I know that this is what you want to do in Hebrides and now my daughter's sick, um, which stole from her but also stole from Daryl and I because then we had to tag team who went out to do what things in Hebrides. So we didn't both get to, you know, to partake in all of that. But why I also know it is that it was an assignment, the enemy pushing back on the word of the Lord, was the moment Daryl went up to Munta. So she's in hospital at this stage, as you probably, Daryl, had shared. Um, So I, flying her back in Dubai, she um, got so unwell on that last flight. This was like day five, day six of um, fevers. The plane ride just was the the last straw. Um, And so we ended up in hospital with her. Um, That morning she woke up and she was no better. She'd had three drips by that stage and and I'm like, we're going to be in for another night. Um, Then Daryl goes up to Moonta and gets together with a couple of people up at Moonta and they went after it in the spirit. I'm talking within the hour that they prayed, she was like resurrection life. Turned around like... I said to Daryl, oh my gosh, she's like, she's up. She's like, she goes, can I go play in the playroom? And I I looked at her and I was like, that's the first word she'd said for two days. Um, And like that. So like there was an assignment on the word that, you know, so it's going to be contested. So, So knowing that things do get contested in the spirit and then you have to be able to stand on that even though it took me a little while to figure out what was going on, it, it was like, wow, okay, do I believe that this healing angel who stirred the waters um, was there for healing, which included my daughter who's now in Hebrides. Um, so, so, so we'll park that because I, I want to share then, you know, what happened once we got to, um, got over to the, over to Hebrides. So, um, so the Hebrides revival, if you don't know time frames, was 1949 to 1953. So it's completely marked with salvation being, you know, number one. There was hundreds, if not thousands of people, um, yeah, thousands, thousands that were saved um, in that time frame. Um, there was a strong, strong fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord was the marking of that revival. Repentance, people just like, how do I get right with the Lord? Um, and God's power manifesting, in spite of the people at times, just God's power coming and invading the services. And not just the services, his manifest presence would be in the streets. We're talking, you know, just people like out at a dance and then having to get right with the Lord, having to go, you know, and then not knowing where to go, so going to the police station, it's like, how do we get right? We're not sure what to do. Um, but they said of the revival in the Hebrides was that people became so conscious of God. It's like it was marked by something completely atmospheric um, that you could never explain other than God sovereignly just, just moved, you know. Um, but it was birthed out of prayer. So if you know the history of it, birthed out of the prayer first and foremost, by two women in their 80s, Peggy and Christine, um, in their 80s, who had actually encountered some level of revival when they were young. And so they, were, they knew, God, there's so much more to what we're seeing right now. Um, so they, you know, started to intercede to, for God to, to move um, and put it, and it was also put on the hearts of the leaders of the parish that was there as well. Um, crying out for a move of God. So they would like, however many nights a week, I can't remember the exact amount of nights, but however many nights a week, literally getting before the Lord and just crying out for him to move. Um, And the cry of their heart and where God sovereignly showed up was out of Psalm 24. And it was, um, they were crying out for our hands to be clean and our hearts to be pure. And on the back of one of those nights, I mean, you know, they prayed for months. On the back of one of those nights, 
God met them. And this is when the revival like fully, you know, breaks out from a prayer that is just like, we just want to see you move. And may it start first with our hearts um, being clean and pure. And then putting a demand on the Lord. There's a, um, an account from Duncan Campbell, who was, you know, the, the man who carried most of this. Uh, on, he was kind of ushered in on the back of their prayers. Um, so when Duncan Campbell comes in, he gives an account of um, one of the meetings that he went to and it was, you know, I think he called them a stiff-necked people or something along those lines. I can't remember exactly the wording of it. But he said, um, this young man in this particular meeting, and, you know, there was no move of God, and he paused again, then cried out in a loud voice, God, you, God, your honour is at stake, and I now challenge you to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And in that moment, the stone-built house literally shook like a leaf. Leaf. I immediately went to the Acts of the Apostles, this is Duncan Campbell, where it is recorded that they prayed and their pla- that they prayed and the place where they were assembled was shaken. As soon as this dear man stopped praying, I pronounced the benediction a little after two o'clock in the morning and went out to find the whole village ablaze with God. The, uh, this is a move of God. This is an outpouring, you know, of his, his atmos- something atmospheric. So there are desperate people asking and pulling on God. Um, but not just, you know, asking, search my heart, but they're, they're pulling on his nature. The, the, these are people that know who their God is and they're pulling on his nature and pulling on his promise and saying, we are put a demand on that that you are covenant-keeping God and therefore, like, you know, don't, um, don't let us down by not coming through with what you said that you would come through with. Um, and I'll skip now to the, back to the ferry. Um, and the other thing, so I encountered the angel with the, you know, the healing, doing the healing thing. Um, but the other thing that ha- happened was as I got onto the boat, ferry, very big boat, you Drive, your, drive our cars onto it. So think big, big ferry. Um, drive onto the ferry and I said to Daryl, I can hear bagpipes. Um, but it wasn't bagpipes. It was like, it was a sound that felt familiar and I was like, oh, that's odd. I didn't think much of it, only that when we pulled up into the Hebrides, so we dock at the Hebrides, and I hear the bagpipe sound again. And I just... You know, I remember just afterwards, not so in the car, I think it was, I said to Daryl, I, I heard those bagpipes again. And what I felt in my spirit was um, that it was like eerily lost. Like, you know when you hear a sound off in the distance and it sounds like almost eerily, like that's what it felt like. It felt like it had been lost. And I said to Daryl, there's something on the pipes, there's something on the bagpipes. Um, They've been lost and God wants to resurrect the bagpipes, you know, that represent the sound of the people being restored back up, you know, back to the people. And so I I said that to Daryl because I said, I I feel like um, it's a reflection of God's heart for them. I don't understand it, but anyway, so, so, so I, you know, told him that, told him about the angel. Um, and then when we get to, to Hebrides, we actually meet up with Marion. Um, and Marion's, um, she's a McLeod. And the McLeods are, um, oh yeah, that's Marion. This is a very windy day. So, um, they, she looks a bit windblown, but, um, but, but um, so we meet up with Marion, and uh, I'm talking. She is a sign in herself. Like um, she, um, when you call, talk about a McLeod, like she, her generations, McLeods, you know, being in the Hebrides, um, and her family line has people that you know were part of the revival so we're talking like she's so connected to this um and she's a woman that has stood stood since this revival believing for God to do it again um and she is 
she's a mystic. She's an, you know, an intercessor. She's prophetic. Um, she carries the fear of the Lord. She understands his power. Um, and so we're unpacking with her, just like, well, she's not un, we're not unpacking. She's telling her life story. And as she's telling her life story, it literally, she is a, she's a sign and a wonder. She actually represents, as she told her story, it was like mapping the Hebrides revival and why it died out. And wasn't it? It was like, I'm sitting there, I'm just going, I just need to map you and I know all I need to know about where things went wrong. Um, because it was quite profound how much of her life actually um, reflected how religion had stifled the Holy Spirit and how things had been shut down. Um, but she's a gatekeeper. She's a gatekeeper in the spirit for that place. Um, and whether she stays there or whether she goes, right now she holds the place of being the gatekeeper for things coming in and out. Um, and so so God set it up. I mean, we met her through Dale doing an intensive years ago. Um, and she, the Lord spoke to her, you must do this. She didn't know who Dale was, didn't. You know, you, you must get in contact with Daryl, and so she books in the session, and um, and this is the connection. Um, I mean, God, you can't make this up. Like, you know, um, she had no idea of us and our desire for you know to connect with in Hebrides. Um, we had no desire, no knowing that she was in Hebrides. Um, so this is how sovereignly God works. You've got to connect with this guy, Daryl Crawford Marshall. Who is this guy? Like. Um, and so, so this is how this opened up. Um, what are you saying? Whisperings over there. Um, but as she's like sharing her life story, the, she starts talking about, she goes, you know, so she knows nothing of what I've just encountered on the ferry. And there was a third thing, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, so she knows nothing of what I've just encountered on the ferry. And she goes, you know, one thing that um, was not, a part of the revival wasn't marked. She she said the miracles. The miracles weren't present within the revival. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, but then what she said, she, you know, within the next paragraph, she jumps to the next thing. You just got to track with her. Um, jumps to the next story, which you like, you know, just captivated by. And she's talking about an encounter which she had probably nearly 20 years ago um, where she was driving in the Hebrides. They, they call them locks, which is, you know, the... It's like a lake. Um, and right... <laughs> she would say it every time, and I'm like, I'm saying it wrong, I know. Um, and her and her daughter, it was only 12, I think, at the time, um, see this body of water, and both of them, in the natural, see this stairway going down, a lighthouse in the water, um, and a heavenly invitation of just like... And she goes, I just... She goes, but when I came across it, my daughter's like, don't get out, don't get out, like, because she could see it, and they were freaking out because it's something heavenly, but, you know, you might disappear, like, you might, who knows what's going to happen. Um, she goes, but do you know, I just wish I dipped my toe in the water. And I just like, you know, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. I knew that God was confirmation that he was saying about the, the miracles. And so I was able to say to her, God wants to add to what's happened in the Hebrides. He wants to add the miracles and the, the healings that is stirring this water. Um, so it was quite profound to be able to go, wow, okay, I've just encountered this and this is the word of the Lord. Dip your toe in the water because there's miraculous and there's healing um, to be had for those in the Hebrides if they'll just dip their toe in, um, which is very, very cool. And then she, you know, continues continues on and as she's talking again she goes yeah and you know like all the churches are just marked by church splits and she said and a lot of it's been over worship she said there's been you know just like no we just do hymns and we don't do these songs and you know church splitting over 
whether they do hymns, whether they have instruments, whether they have, you know, and she just said, you know, the, the history of the church over the decades has been constant um, suppressing of the worship of the musicians, of the, the instruments being played. Um, and then she went on to describe, not knowing again the encounter I'd had with the whole bagpipe thing, um, and she said, I can't remember that it was her granddad or her great-granddad, um, either way, it's, you know, someone that was related to her, that had a gift to play the bagpipes, like profound gift that actually put him before great leaders, including the king. He'd played the bagpipes for the king. So that's, that's the time frame. So it was obviously pre the queen um, and not our present king. So this is the time frame we're talking. Um, and she said that they attributed the bagpipes to evil and curses. And so when a family member died, they said, well, that was because you played the bagpipes. And so what happened was there was a suppression on the pipes within the Hebrides. I don't know whether that extends to the rest of Scotland. I can't, you know, but I'm talking specifically to the Hebrides. That the bagpipes were basically buried and so it was put to rest, including her, you know, great-granddad or granddad, um, putting those bagpipes. I mean, this man had a gift to play. He was put before great leaders um, and he put it to rest because it was, you know, seen as... This is the enemy stealing the worship, stealing the sound. And, and, and what's profound about it is not that um, it's just the worship and the songs. It was also a unique sound, an anthem sound that was meant to come out of the Hebrides. And so I remember years ago, Dan McCullum, um, one of the gift sets he has is he actually goes to the nations and he said, I can't remember exactly his wording, but basically seeing across the nations all these people, you know, playing the Hillsong songs and, oh, that's great, you know, Hillsong being risen up. And, and he said, but just trying to pull out of them their sound. What are the instruments that are unique to your land that actually need to be expressed because they're expression of creativity that is for that land, for those particular people. And so God was, um, wants to raise up, you know, whether it be the didgeridoo or the, you know, the things that are unique to those lands and the sound, um, because the enemy knows how powerful, not just the song, but the instruments and the unique sound of each of the land, um, you know, across the nations. He knows that the anthem songs that are meant to come out of those places are so powerful that he would shut down the bagpipes so that sound does not get risen up, that those melodies... I mean, she was telling us stories, which I can't name because I don't want to get in trouble, um, but I'll give you a, a decade which might, you know, narrow it down... Um, she was saying that when it comes to stealing of the worship and the sound, there's like historically these melodies that have been around for centuries that the melody was picked up by very famous people in the 70s-ish, um, that 70s, 80s era, that they took the melody and they became famous songs with a whole new song so they took the melody and the song and made it their own and became like these famous songs and so there, there is history throughout the Hebrides of being basically like raped and pillaged of what was rightfully the sound that was meant to come out of the Hebrides and um, where others have stolen from it they've shut down the pipes they've stolen their melodies and all because the enemy is super scared of of those people of that land actually getting a hold of their inheritance again and going, no, these pipes are our pipes and our sound will come from here, our new melodies um, of, and the worship. And so God had spoken to me about the bagpipes because he was saying, 
This needs to be a place um, where they pick back up their instruments, where they pick back up the sound and the uniqueness of those anthems, those things that are supposed to come out, um, you know, out of that place. And I just had an excitement in my spirit that he's saying it. Like this was his prophetic promise over, over the Hebrides. And so being able to then just, you know, say to Marion, like you... Um, this, this is what God is saying to you. Like, she's a musician who was shut down. She has beautiful voice, like just sweet, sweet melodies. Um, and so God reinstating and saying, I want to raise back up the worshippers. Um, so, so for me, it's like an excitement that God wants to do something again within the Hebrides. And he's speaking over them about things that he wants to add to them. But it has to, stir, you know, first I have that stirring that comes out of that place of worship and pulling back out of, literally, like they buried, buried their, their pipes, um, which I just think is, you know, is profound. And so God... He wants to do that. He wants to do that in that land. Um, now, the Hebrides is stunning. Um, you know, natural beauty. Can you just show the one with the blue pool of water? Like, um, I'm just putting one. I didn't want to, you know, bombard you with heaps of... But everywhere you turn, you come around each corner, and it's just these stunning, stunning, the greens and the blues and the... Um, you know, it's just picturesque every every turn. Um, but contrast that um, of not actually, when we go there, you're looking for monuments of the past revival. You're looking for, um, you know, just like something that reminds you of like what's happened here. And there was not none of that. So if you want to show Asher with the police station... <clears throat> So this is the police station where everyone turned themselves in, going, what do I do to be saved? Um, but it, 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 it's not about the building. It's not about, you know, that place in particular. I, I don't know what I was looking for, but it's like... Um, it could be any police station. Like, it didn't have, like, I didn't walk to the police station and could sense anything in particular. Um, and then the church building with Todd and Marion. So this is the building, the parish where the outpouring started. Um, and so, you know, they weren't open, so we couldn't go in there. Nothing, no markings, no... I don't know if there was something inside that would indicate what had happened in the past. Um, and even at this church, there was an obelisk erected right next. So it's up the top of the hill. This is Barbus, um, where the outbreak, the outbreak, the outpouring, <laughs> the outpouring happened. And so the top of, it's at the top of the hill, so you can see like quite far. Um, and they've erected a, an obelisk right outside the church. Like to the left here is, is an obelisk. And... and like, for me, it was like, you're looking for markers in the spirit, in the natural, and they weren't there. Um, but what was present and what you could feel was the, the thin place, um, the invitation within Hebrides itself. You know, that they'd knocked down where the sisters had prayed, just knocked down their house. So there wasn't even a place where you could go and go, wow, this is where they prayed. Um, but, I, you know, obviously I could see the land where the house used to be. Um, but it, it's, not, it's not in the building. It's, it's not in the land itself. It, it, it was like just knowing that it was a thin place. It was a region of where they'd pulled on something heavenly and that we could do the same. So it wasn't, um, okay, I'm going to lay hands now and get the impartation from the building because there was nothing present over that building that would actually, I'd be able to pull on. If they continued to, um, to steward that, I'm sure that would have been a different story. But that, I say that to say that it is really about 
the posture of your heart in those thin places. There's the posture of your heart to actually pull on the realm and go, I'm just going to pull in from there what I need to pull in. Um, but it, it is, it's astounding that in one generation, pretty much, um, there's no evidence of the revival. Besides me being a Christian, knowing that it's a thin place in the spirit, you, you don't see the evidence of a people that are conscious of God. You don't see the evidence of, and Marion said, it, you know, historically most of them wouldn't even know that they'd had an outpouring there. Um, you know, so, so we go and we look upon history and we want <clears throat> to you know, go into that place to, to pull from that realm, but um, most would not know that anyone would want to do that. So, um, so it was just astounding, I think, because I don't know what I was expecting in that regard, but it spoke to me of just what was available is about his presence um, and pulling on that. So, um, <clears throat> but the thing that God really spoke to me about was not to despair of there being no evidence of that, um, of that move of God, because he remembers. The remnant remembers. And that's all he needs. I know we talk about it all the time, but all we need is the remnant. All we need is a few that were the two sisters. The, two sisters, a remnant who remembered, God, you did it back then. Do it again. And so... Um, the invitation stands for us to do the same. And so, um, what, so that, that, will, that brings me to my third encounter um, on the ferry, which wasn't really an encounter. It was actually just a word from the Lord. Um, so after I'd encountered those two things, I just like closed my eyes and I just like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to read the word. Um, no particular place. I opened up Esword, <laughs> literally clicked, click, click. Um, so I, I didn't even know what I was landing on, So, because I just thought, I'm just going to open the Word and just start reading. Um, and anyway, so I, I opened the Word to 1 Chronicles 15. Particularly, it was 12, but I'm going to read from 1 um, and do it that way. Um, now, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to a place which he had prepared for it. We'll jump down to verse 12. Um, and this, this is where he landed me. So he, I read the whole chapter, but this particularly was where I opened up to. Um, and said to them, you are the heads of the father's households of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it at first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. The sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon, as Moses has commanded according to the word of the Lord. Then David spoke to the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their relatives, the singers, with instruments of music, harp, music harps, lyres, loud-sounding <clears throat> cymbals to raise sounds of joy. Down to verse 25 to 28. Read the whole lot because there's a lot in it. So it was David with the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands who went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. Because obviously they hadn't done it right the first time and that's why it landed there. Because God was helping the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. Now David was clothed with a robe of fine linen and all the Levites who were carrying the ark. And the singers at Tenaniah, the leader of the singing with the singers. David also wore an ephod of linen. Thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting and with sound of the horn, with trumpets, with loud sounding cymbals and harps and lyres. I wasn't looking for these verses. 
the Lord found these verses and he gave us field of dreams, a promise that day. So when I read those scriptures, the presence of the Lord, as I read that, the presence, it was weighty, and I started to get so teary and um, in awe of what he wanted to do in and through Field of Dreams. We're nothing special, but what we are is a people that want to see the manifest presence of the Lord. And the invitation was... um, it's such a precious thing for us to steward that I, I could feel the weight of, I can't even describe it. I mean, you can probably feel it a little bit in the room, um, what it looks like to steward this thing so that we would see something of what we saw in the Hebrides manifest here in South Australia, that he was saying to us that he wants to entrust us This is not to the exclusion of Hebrides having more outpouring for them to have the miracles, the bagpipes, the resurrected, the worship. But he's saying, I'm extending this invitation. If you take it up for us to carry that ark. And when we say ark, it's it's the presence. It's going after his presence. Um, But he, he was very careful to say the invitation is to seek him in accordance to the ordinance. You know, when they first took the ark to um, through Obed-Edom and, you know, Uzziah being struck down, um, they realized, okay, we didn't, we didn't follow what was required for us to, the level of awe, the level of worship, the, the, the worshipers to go first were, were not present in, in him taking that ark and so God's invitation to us is steward this well do it first and foremost with that place of worship to do it with joy and I don't think it's any coincidence now coming back that I just realized the the weight of what we did in opening up this house as a tabernacle of David Um, it didn't like it carries more weight for me now of knowing that when he spoke to me on that ferry and gave us that invitation, that so much of this is about that place of tabernacle. It's about the place of worship. That this is the time to actually see him usher in and usher in his presence and that we do play a part in doing that. Um, We've got to put things in the right order. That worship is number one, that our hearts have to be consecrated towards the Lord. Um, so if we put these right conditions in, he, he's giving us the ability to transport. So it's, it's what we've seen in Hebrides is available to us to transport here in this place, for another thin place to be established so that there can be outpouring, so that we can see the tangible, atmospheric, you know, substance of what manifested in Hebrides, that he wants to do it again. He wants to do it again more than we want to see him do it again. This isn't like, oh, please, and it's like, oh, if I must, like... I, I don't know, sometimes we have a mentality of like, well, what's the restriction? Well, the restrictions are just our heart's response, our prayer, our consecration before the Lord. Um, you know, that David, had he established a tent. He established the tent ready, in readiness for that Ark of the Covenant to be present saying, I will, you know, and he obviously then wanted to build a house for the Lord, but he established that tent, that meeting place where heaven could actually meet earth. That's our response. We're establishing a place where heaven can meet earth so that it can manifest in and through the people. I just know that he wants to do something atmospheric here. I spoke about it earlier on in the year, that prophetic word I gave with about the you know, revival and dragonflies. Like, he, he wants us to partner with him to do it. 
We are in a privileged position, though, because we've got hindsight. We can look back over history and actually look at the revivals of of the past and see what were the hindrances, what quenched the spirit. Are we going to get it all right? No. But just like David, he gets it wrong. He takes the ark. He gets to Obed-Edom. They stop. We got it wrong. Correction. Why? Because his heart was like positioned in a place, correct me, like what did I do wrong? How do we make this thing continue in the same vein so that we can have it land here and reside here and continue in that vein? And so we have hindsight of the history of these revivals to take into our future where we actually guard that manifest presence in a way that is like, okay, whatever corrections you need to do along the way, God. But this, the, the standout for what and how it happened in Hebrides was, yes, they were saying, move, God, move, move, move for the sake of the people. So it has to come out of a heart response that we want to see a move of God, not just for my own self-interest. It has to go beyond your self-interest. It has to go beyond um, getting my needs met. We have to be crying out for a move of God like they were crying out because, you know, they, they were saying some of the... Um, you know, things I've read about the Hebrides, which they were concerned over the hearts of the young people who were no longer attending church. They were concerned over where they were heading and um, into darkness. And, you know, I imagine it was quite light darkness back then compared, comparative to what we, you know, are seeing in, you know, this generation. But it was the same deal, like to have our hearts so moved to want to see a move of God for not, I'm not just talking young people, I'm talking a generation of people that don't currently know him, that need him. Um, And the other thing that was obviously I spoke about before is clean hands and pure heart. That it has to be our response is short accounts with the Lord. We have to be in that place of repentance. We have to be, um, you know, I spoke to Courtney this morning and she's, she's just come back from Hebrides just before we went. And um, she said, what came out of that for me was, you know, creating me a clean heart, Lord, and renew a right spirit in me, which is the same theme. <coughs> That's our heart, that we have to actually position our hearts to say, Whatever's not of you, just clear that out so that there's more room for you to move in and through us and for the sake of you moving so that this state is transformed because I totally believe that that's what God wants to do. And the thing that is also, it's so encouraging in this season is we have other things established that will help a move of God to endure, which is we have come into more revelation about governance. We've come into more revelation about our own self-governance, but governance in the sense of how are we stewarding these mountains? How are we positioning our people within um, education and, you know, writing curriculum that is going to be like Christ-centered and bringing the best out in our kids? How do we position people in business that are kingdom mindset about, um, you know, what they do with their finance when they get it and having purpose that's far bigger than just making money and, you know, having businesses that, like, impact the nations and then the government mountain. Obviously, you know, we all know that we're partaking of standing in that mountain. So we, we're setting ourselves up for a move of God that is even beyond what's happened in the Hebrides because he's, by God's grace, he's given us revelation about how important it is to govern in these mountains. And so it's exciting to me that if we see an outpouring like a Hebrides, which I know we will, that if we see an outpouring like this, they, that we also are poised to govern that move of God 
that we would have the lawmakers in place to change the laws to reflect a righteous people. What is that going to look like? So we, I, 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 sometimes I get a glimpse of it and I just get so excited for what's coming. But it comes not external to us and not by laying hands on the building in Hebrides and it'd be transferred to me. The, the posture is everything. The posture of those two women and the leaders that cried out is what pulled on heaven. And that is our response. Our response is, you know, crafting a prayer out of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the, from the God of his salvation. That, this is the prayer. This is the heart's response. Is like, God, just search me. May um, we see the blessing of the Lord. And the other scripture that was, you know, mark, a marking of, of Hebrides was Isaiah 44, verse 3 to 5. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. These were the, the prayers of the saints that actually upheld and pulled on a heavenly realm. I mean, that prayer that Duncan Campbell quotes, um, for your name's sake. I mean, this was a young man that knew, I know your nature, I know your character, I know your promises. I know that my heart is pure and my heart is clean and this is what I want to see. I want to see you move and come on your word. And when he did that, they said it was like the shaking of the building and, you know, the whole region getting set ablaze for God because they were pulling on that, like the, that substance of heaven. And so the invitation is there for us. That scripture that he gave, you know, in, in Chronicles. Um, you can't make that up. I couldn't have possibly found that scripture. That was him saying, I'm telling you, as a people, it wasn't about me. I knew it was a word for field of dreams. I knew that he was saying, I'm telling you, if you put things in right order, if your hearts would worship, if you would consecrate yourselves, then you just watch as you set up that tent, set up that place for me to meet with you, look how I pour out and I bless. Like Obed-Edom, um, the blessing of the Lord was on that place when the presence was there. And it's saying, okay, God, for your presence to be so tangible in this place. So I just encourage each one of us to actually continue you know, and this is not new because I know that so many of us have carried this heart of wanting to um, see this revival. But uh, I guess what I'm saying is um, continue in that vein. Continue the place of concentra consecration. Concentration, <laughs> that too. Concentrate too. Um, of, of coming before the Lord and just saying, like, please, I just, I pull on um, the, the nature, the character, and the promises that are throughout the Bible. And I just say, move, 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 because he wants to. There is nothing in his nature and character that wants to withhold a move that would actually cause South Australia to be completely transformed. And so when that happens, you know, people talking about the Liberal Party or whatever, like, gosh, we're never going to get in, get elected and all of this, you know. You get a move of God where the hearts of the people get caught into just like, how do I get right with God? Where are they going to put their votes? They will, they will be looking, looking. Where are the righteous? Where are the men and women who are going to stand for the truth and the plumb line? So I tell you, like, you know, if we don't see the Liberal Party come into power in these next couple of years, know that 
we are setting ourselves up, whether it be in government, whether it be in schools and education, whatever mountain it is that you are called into, is that we are setting ourselves up in readiness that we will be well prepared for that move of God to happen because we're there. But it's not going to come external to you. It's not going to come just because you visit the Hebrides. Even though it's beautiful and you, you're going to get blessed and you're going to pull on a you know, fresh revelation. But it, it comes. What stood out to me was revival comes when the hearts of the people just say, move, move, move. So if you just want to grab your communion... So just as you, I just want you to take the communion in your own time, but I want you to do it like this. I want you to ask him, what? Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. May you take it and just say, my heart is open for you to show me anything that is not right, that is not aligned, that's not clean, that's not pure. Because He poured it all out so that we can be in right standing, that we can be aligned. So when you take communion, I just ask that you just ask Him to reveal. I don't want you to go on rabbit trails thinking could be this, could be that. Just anything that He wants to bring to mind to say, okay, I give that to you and ask you for a renewing of my mind, for a healing, for a new understanding, for whatever it takes for that thing to be made right and to be made pure. So take, take the communion and then I'll land in prayer. would you make us a people with clean hands and a pure heart thank you that Christ came so that we that that could be available to us so I thank you for the renewing of each one of our minds to the fullness of who we are and what we carry God, I just thank you for the outpouring in the Hebrides. We thank you, Father, for what you've done there in the past. And we say on their behalf, do it again. Would you strengthen Marion? Would you strengthen those that have seen the past of what you've done? And would you um, cause their prayers to be caught up in a place where that thin 
that thin place comes down, that heavenly, um, the heavenly would touch in a new and a fresh way. We call those bagpipes back up. We call the worship back into the hands and the hearts of the people. Uh, we thank you, Father, for, um, for the stirring of the waters of healing in that land. And God, would you cause them to be brave? Would you cause hearts to want to dip their toe back into the water to encounter you, to encounter your miracles and your healing, God? And God, we just thank you for, for those um, that went before us, the, the cloud of witnesses um, from Hebrides that prayed those prayers. And on the back of their prayers, God, we just ask, do it again here, God. Do it again here. Father, thank you for the promise of, out of Chronicles. We thank you, Father, that you have promised us for your manifest presence in this place, God. Would you continue to show us the, the, the ordinances that you have, that you require of us as a house, God. The things that you want to align, that where you want to bring us into a spirit of agreement, where you want us to first put put you first and the and the worship and our hearts be um, consecrated to, towards you, where you want to search us um, and show us any offensive way in us, God. We just ask, Father, for all of that to start to align. And God, that we would just cry out like they did, um, did back in the Hebrides, God. We just cry out and we say, we just call on your, your nature and your promises of, of pouring out on a dry and thirsty land, God. God, South Australia is dry. It is thirsty. It's longing for you, even if it doesn't know it yet. But God, you, you are the one that wants to pour out upon those hearts. And so we ask, God, for a move of your spirit in this state state, God, the things that we've seen in the spirit that we know that you want to manifest, we just, but we pull on that right now and ask God, do it again, God, do it again, God, that it just wouldn't, wouldn't be just, um, you know, that, that we get the touch here within Field of Dreams, God. We want to see something that, that transforms the whole culture of South Australia, that it transforms into a place of a, um, moving into a heavenly kingdom, that they'll have an understanding of, um, of your kingdom come and that there would be a desire for, um, for the landing place of the Lord so we just ask, Father, for just, just moving on the hearts of the people right now. And God, would you move on our hearts and the part, the part that we all get to play. God, that it doesn't come in, um, external to us. It comes through the hearts of the people, even starting in this room. And so, God, would you put the spirit of intercession over each one of us to pray for this um, move of God for whatever it takes to see your kingdom come, for more people to come into your kingdom. Make us your hungry ones. In Jesus' name. Amen. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep worshipping. It's like, you know, the, the, the sisters didn't just get, gather and pray once. Like there, there's, there is, there's just that continue with those unctions when they come to just pray it in, you know. It's like believe for it. I, do, I absolutely believe that the promise on that ferry, like I, I felt the weight of it. It's like, and I, I want for you to feel the weight of that promise. That it's not it's just not a me word. It's like this, this is something for Field of Dreams to actually. Um, steward, and we all play a part, not just the leadership, we all play a part in that ushering in of something quite profound.